I sat down with the Honourable Bruce Bilson, the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman, a few weeks ago to discuss how small businesses can be more aware and involved in policy and what ASPIFIO does to support the small businesses and to inform and represent government in difficult policy areas. What does ASPIFIO do for you? How do they advocate? How do they represent? And how does that machine of government work for small business? Well, for starters, they assist over, with over 6,000 disputes and inquiries annually. We also talked with Bruce Bilson about what ways ASPIFIO assists with dispute resolution in different segments, improving payment times, for example. And we spoke about the tax concierge service that they provide to small businesses who are resolving problems with the ATO. It's always a fascinating and interesting and informative discussion with Bruce Bilson. And today he's joining Small Biz Matters. He's also going to be joining us throughout the year to inform listeners on what advocacy work ASPIFIO is conducting and how you can be involved. Welcome to Small Biz Matters, a show where we are dedicated to empowering small businesses and advisors to engage with policy and advocacy. Why? Because what government does very much matters to all small biz, good and bad. Sponsored by the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman's Office, each week we sit down with experts, advocates, business leaders, policymakers and politicians to dive into specific areas of government policy that affects your clients and your business. We'll give you the heads up on what's coming down the policy pipeline. Find out who's fighting in your corner and empower you with ways you can influence those decisions which affect your business every single day. We proudly broadcast live on our local community radio station, Triple H 100.1 FM, the Community Broadcasting Network, and later wherever you get your favourite podcasts. Let's hear from this week's expert on Small Biz Matters. People, policy, purpose. Welcome to Small Biz Matters. We are here in sunny, glorious, not too cold Canberra because we are in the middle of a heat wave. And I'm joined by the Honourable Bruce Bilson, who is the Australian Family, Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman, also known as ASPIFIO. And uh, you're based in Canberra now, and you've been working really hard uh, to advocate for small businesses and to work in those policy areas. And we all know that small businesses are involved in so many different areas of policy. Bruce, it's really great to have you back on the program. And I want to talk to you about how small businesses can get involved, can be more aware of what's coming down the pipeline and what your office specifically does to assist them in really critical, difficult policy areas and what you do to work with small businesses specifically. So firstly, welcome to the program. Thanks, Alexi. Great to have you in the capital. It's uh, it's glorious today and I know uh, the warmth is landing in different parts of the continent <laughs> in different ways. Um, but yeah, great to, great to see you and, and thanks for having me on your podcast. Um, we, we do a couple of things just to help your, your audience. Um, we do dispute resolution. I mean, for those people listening, they'd know if you're in the federal jurisdiction and a business had a blue with another business and you thought, oh, we'll sort it out, sort it out in court. In the federal jurisdiction, that's the federal court. Now, that's a couple of hundred thousand dollars and two years to wait. Now, tell me a small business that can handle either of those things. Um, and so we get involved with dispute resolution. We try and work through and sort out and support resolving those grievances so that people don't have to go to court, hopefully with relationships intact, and they can get back to business. And we see this in areas of codes that the federal government's introduced, franchising, food and grocery, the oil industry, that, that sort of stuff. 
stuff, we get involved in that, horticulture, those sorts of things. So that's that's quite useful. And we also help with a tax concierge service. So if you're locked in a blue with the tax office and you're thinking about, you know, going to the Administrative Appeals Tribunal to challenge uh, a, a, a judgment on what your tax liabilities are, we, we, we get alongside those small and family businesses and reality check whether there's really something that's worth challenging and if so, what the law might might say. And then we assist them in onboarding into the AAT so that, you know, the matters of law are clear and, you know, we're not wasting anyone's time and the small business can, can make their case as well as they can. So we do that. Interestingly, out of that 6,500 types of matters we work with each year, a whole lot of case studies pop up and they might be recurring issues like right now, um, payment times. Um, 40% of our disputes deal with payments. Uh, and, and, you know, there's work going on in that space to try and improve the performance of mainly larger businesses towards their small and, and family business supplies. But often it can be a small to small business having a blue and we'll get involved in trying to resolve that where we can. Um, there's also a pattern around digital service platforms. You know, you, your business might have its only channel to the market through one of these uh, major digital platforms platforms and maybe you get hacked, maybe something goes wrong and all of a sudden you're locked out. Um, Ironically, a number of these platforms require you to be able to get into your account so you can flag that you have a problem. But if you're locked out of your account, account, how on earth can you signal you have a a problem? So we, we get involved with trying to sort those things out. Using those two examples, that can inform policy we can say, hang on, this keeps coming up. Maybe there's some issues that need to be dealt with here and then we'll we'll surface those kinds of insights to government. If it's a broader um, concern we see, as you might recall, we did work around the insurance area. We've also done work in small business disaster preparedness and resilience. Right now we're doing stuff around government procurement. You know, a lot of businesses might not have thought about government as a customer, but sometimes it can be really hard to get in there. We will we will do research, do deep data dives, try and present, you know, persuasive cases to government and then advocate for small business. And and, and part of that, the last leg of our work is telling the story of small business. Um, they're not shrink wrapped big corporates. They don't have like a little bit of a HR department, a little bit of an in-house lawyer or a little, it's not like that. They're doing everything. Um, so we surfaced that information and we recently released some data that pointed to, you know, 43% not making a profit right now, nearly three quarters taking home less than average total full-time weekly earnings. And, and we'll surface these factual stories to help advance our advocacy and, and present hopefully government and regulatory with compelling arguments about how to make the ecosystem better for enterprising men and women. So that's kind of how we do our our advocacy work in the context of our broader function. You spoke about case studies Mm -hmm. and how critical they are to really open the eyes of government and explain to them what the real-life circumstances are and and what those real-life scenarios mean to actual real-life humans. How do you get those case studies? How do people get in touch with you? You mentioned mentioned through the, um, the mediation service that you provide, but are there other ways that people get in touch with you for other yeah, reasons? Well, we have a network of, of, of um, small business facing industry associations. We work with about three dozen of those. So we get information coming through that. Um, we also are very connected out in the field. I've had the, had the joy of being in Australia's largest
largest agricultural field days uh, a few weeks back and then over to South Australia and into uh, Victoria again. And uh, so we, we travel quite a lot and engage, you know, often with our small business commissioner colleagues at a state level. We work quite closely with federal regulators. So I chair an outfit called FRAG, the Federal Regulator Agency Group, and we come together and share and surface, you know, our insights about what's going on in the small business community. But those case studies we touched on, really important because that's field evidence. And one of the things that sets us apart from, you know, other, you know, your regular government departments is we have a very direct service delivery function. We have real small businesses that we deal with day in, day out, and that's where we get such rich insights. It might be the, the kernel of an idea comes out and then we go hunting to try and find out more information and then that helps um, provide the evidence base, the story of why something needs to happen and then informs, you know, what that better um, policy setting or program design might look like. So in a way, Aspifio is like the connective tissue. You bring together other agencies. Like I said at the beginning, so many policy areas, so many government agencies have something to do with small business and share those ideas. And out of that, does that bubble up to the surface a key policy area that everyone's hearing or in particular you're hearing from? Yeah, it it can. It's it's often not that well organised, like, you know, life's not that tidy. And, and government's I, not that tidy. Well, and government's busy, you mm-hmm. know, there's 170,000, I think, off the top of my head, Commonwealth public servants. Just in Canberra? Uh, no, across the nation, yeah, all right. working for the, for the Australian the government. That's the population of Canberra, isn't it? Uh, no, Canberra's a bit bigger than that these days, <laughs> I understand. But, but you know, it's a big, it's a big animal, you know, mm. and, and I suppose I often talk about the most powerful thing being inertia uh, in both a positive and a not-so-positive way. I mean, if things have got life and legs, there's awfully been an awful lot of legwork gone into getting a program or some policy idea moving and you feel like it's almost impossible to stop. The flip side is if you've got a, you know, a great fresh idea that no one's talking about, there's an awful lot of energy and work needed to get that moving. So, so what we try and do is try and stay situationally aware about what's going on and, and, and steer it into a better lane for small and family businesses. Now, in some cases, and when we do this every week, we, we scan, um, you know, the consultative activity of government and surface the ones where we think we can add best value for the small and family business community. We publicise that to a number of, of small and family business facing industry associations, basically saying, hey, this is what's going on. We think our best value add is in this area of work and that's where we plan to put time and energy. But but tell us if you think something else is critical and we should be putting our eyes somewhere else or contribute to that work if you choose. So we've got to be quite discerning on where we get involved. And I suppose the other thing too is because of our work and our connectedness with real-life small and family businesses, um, departments and agencies come to us and we act like a dating service. Like even the next couple of days there's a consultation around the legislative framework for digital identification for businesses. Now, that's really important for small businesses. And wisely, the finance department said, hey, Bruce, can you can you steer us to a handful of folks that will really bring to life that discussion? Similar things happen in, you know, areas of tax, uh, you know, our, our, our work in procurement's another one, even, you know, discussions at the moment around privacy and, and what that looks like. The Attorney General's people will say, hey, can you can you bring a really field based grounded you know sense of how this might work best for small business? So we, we you know we really welcome that 
engagement, and that's a, a, a credit to the agency that government departments and ministers have that confidence in us. And that's why I've rejigged Small Biz Matters to be about people, purpose and policy Mm -hmm. because in my mind there's an opportunity here for small businesses either through those associations or through organisations such as yourselves directly or even through their Member of Parliament Mm. to Mm. be involved. I mean, red tape's not going anywhere, let's face it. Regulation, it's always going to be part of running a small business. So what in your mind can small businesses do apart from keeping an eye on the SBFO social pages and website and find out what they can do? How can they be more involved or be more aware of what government's doing? It's so complex. Look, and, and look, it's a lot in what you just said then. Let me see if I can unpack it a little bit. I mean, the, the, the world is run by people who turn up. So if your audience remembers nothing from this podcast, please remember that. The world is run by people who turn up. Now, if you turn up and surface and share your experience, your insights, your ideas about how things could be better, you're infinitely more likely to bring about positive change than if you just sat in your lounge room and grumbled about something that's not going the way you'd like it, like well, it to or be. Or sat on social media and grumbled well, about yeah, it. Well, that's right. I mean, the thing is those, those ahas, as I call them, those little sparks can be really quite important. And when they're coming from someone who's living and, and, and breathing that business every day and they come across a piece of regulation or some compliance obligation that they think is pure BS – or it can be sorted out by something they're already doing, that's valuable because, you know, we we don't use deregulation as a phrase because in most cases regulation has been created, added to because something needed to be addressed. I mean, we're not going to argue split hairs over that. What we do talk about, though, is right-sized regulation. What is the minimum effective level of imposition that that a small businesses need to handle to meet whatever that regulatory obligation is? Now, one of the things we keep talking about, Alexi, is that often, and this is one of the reasons this agency was created, often small businesses are more challenging to consult with. So what do policymakers do? They consult with big businesses because they've got government relations department, they've got policy and advocacy experts. You know, they, they can have those conversations and you end up with, sometimes I think you end up with rules that work for the big end of town but haven't given a second thought to how a small business might might fulfil those expectations, let alone climb over, you know, the regulatory burdens that are being, you know, foisted upon them. So that's where we get involved. We still say, hey, hang on a minute, that might seem like a great idea if you're talking to a bank where there's 150 people in a compliance department. But you're actually having the way you've described it, you know, maybe a, a commercial finance broker trying to, you know, get equipment finance arrangements in place for their local hospitality industry finds them doing an enormous amount of compliance work just to get an oven into a restaurant. Mm-hmm. You know, so like, hang on a minute, let's let's think this through. It's not, they're not all multi-million dollar transactions that you're thinking about. These are happening every day. Don't be blind to that, factor that in and come up with a, 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 a mechanism that protects against the harm you're trying to deal with but not burden and gum up the business so that it just sucks the entrepreneurial life out of enterprising men and women. We're going to take a break here on Small Biz Matters and we'll come back after these announcements. We're here talking to Bruce Bilsman, the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman. We'll be back after this. 
This episode of Small Biz Matters is proudly sponsored by the Australian Small Business and Family Enterprise Ombudsman's Office. As Bifio assists, advocates and provides information to Australia's 2.5 million small and family businesses when and where they need it. Aspifio delivers practical and actionable advice and research to governments on how to improve policies and legislation. Since its inception, Aspifio has responded to over 40,000 requests for assistance from Australian small and family businesses and provides access to dispute resolution services, including assistance with disputes that fall under the franchising, dairy, horticulture and oil codes. Aspifio also connects small and family business with mental health support should the need arise. As an independent advocate for small business owners, Aspifio is committed to ensuring that Australia is the best place to start, grow or transform a business now and well into the future. See how Aspifio can support you at asbfeo.gov.au. So, Bruce, again, thanks for joining Small Biz Matters this week in our inaugural program about people purpose policy. Tell me a little bit about where you think is a good place for government to start if they were to reduce that regulatory burden you spoke about. There are a myriad of different policy areas that impact small business. Is there a good place to start, perhaps, to try and lessen that burden, or is it a matter of chipping it away? I think it's one of those things we need to remain eternally vigilant. Now, there's things going on. You know, let's 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 think about the compliance burdens. No small business can get away from, and they tend to take you into tax. They tend to take you into workplace relations, and they tend to take you into sort of product safety, all the way from cyber through to you know meeting consumer affairs obligations. You can't avoid those things. So that's always a good place to start. Um, in the area of tax, I know the tax office is looking at the next generation of tax where basically your compliance obligations are bedded into your day-to-day business as usual activities. So, you know, that's a step in the right direction. What we can do is talk about, well, hang on, there's these reporting arrangements for um, uh, taxable payments made in the consulting and in contracting space. There's even on platforms now new reporting obligations that are coming. Well, that's giving the tax office a mountain of intelligence, but what can we do to make sure it's also informing the business owner? I mean, your listeners might have an investment property on the northern beaches and they might rent it out for Airbnb. They might only do it a little way. They might not realise that's a business. That's a business. And under the legal changes that are coming, Airbnb will report, you know, to uh, to the tax office on on payments it makes to somebody because a property has been, uh, been rented. Now, those sorts of activities, those sorts of services enabled through digital platforms, you might just think they're your play money and, and, and you know, spending money to take on your next holiday. Well, they're actually a business and the tax office is being alerted to those that income and someone needs to account for it. Now, now can't we join that up so that if the tax office is getting that information, what, what as a service can the tax office do to tell the small business owner, even if they're not aware they are one, that there's something going on that has a tax obligation attached to it. Those are the sorts of things that I think we should be thinking about as we increasingly digitise that area of the economy. In workplace relations, it's it's very complicated. You know, and, and we see some of the largest corporations in Australia struggle 
to meet their legal obligations and when they've got dozens of people in their business who do nothing else but make sure they're compliant. Now, if they're struggling, how do you think a mum and dad business with a couple of staff are going to go? I mean, so so there it's a question of right-sizing. What's the ask that you're making of small business? And if they are taking a misstep, because I believe that overwhelmingly people want to do the right thing, it's so darn hard to know what that is sometimes. And, and maybe there, rather than an enforcement, it's an educative approach. Maybe when it's a pure compliance, no, no, we're, we're going to collaborate and work with you to meet those requirements. That's where I think some of the gains can be made federally. And in terms of when those policies are created, if we take something that's quite recent, the Respect at Work regulations, yes. 55 different aspects that I, in my opinion, all 55 are somehow going to have an effect on yep. small business. So when, when the government is making those and building those regulations in, how can we be assured that they are listening to that small business voice? What's the mechanism for the, yeah. as that as an example? Well, a well, couple of things. We'll lean in and say, that sounds great for a 3,000 employee workforce where you've got all these flex and options. For a family business in regional Australia with three, what does it look like? And and we'll try and say, okay, can we take the key elements and and and, and turn them into actionable information? Not not broad principles where you're going to have a industrial relations and and, and you know um, uh, organisational culture conversation to work out what they actually mean for your workplace. No, no, no. Get right down to what does a small business need, need to, to do? do? And that's the phrase we use, actionable information that answers the simple question, what is it I need to do? That's right, because half the time with these with these complicated aspects, small businesses are saying, I just want to do the right thing. Tell me yeah, what to do and I will do it. And, and, and you know, I, now, having been a lawmaker for some years, I know there's a lot of interest in principles-based objective-driven law. And that can be really good for large organisations that are able to interpret those principles as they relate to their business. I'll give you one example. Let's talk about work safety. Now, most jurisdictions have principles-based, you know, legislation that says be alert to, aware of, and mitigate against the risks that arise in your business. Uh, And then here's some of the things you should think about. That's fine because all the business workplaces are very different, and that means what you're doing as a, a swimming pool private operator is different from a mining site. That makes some sense. What they do in Victoria, though, is they say, okay, they're the broad-based principles, big organisations with all the technical and specialist expertise, knock yourselves out and come up with the best work safety strategy and approach you can for your particular enterprise. What they say for a small business, though, is for you, small business, here's the list. Here's what it looks like. Do these things, you're sweet. Now, that is about actionable information in the hands of small business. That makes some sense. That's the kind of thing we advocate for. And who do they work for. with to get that list right? Is it the commissioners? Is it the associations? Is it everyone all in the those, room? All of those, and usually we try and find, and, and, and if they're not working with them, we will introduce them to a, a relevant small business-facing industry organisation that, that might be able to distill a range of input from actual businesses who can reach out and say, hey, all of you electrical contractors, I know there's stacks of you and many of you are busy, but quick, fire us in some thoughts and someone can distill that stuff. We we think that's a a good way to go. It's interesting, and and not that I'm advocating it here, but in Singapore, when you register a business, one of the things you have to do is attach yourself to an industry association. So they actually, you know, hardwire 
that communication channel between government and business through the conduit of relevant industry associations. And that's how they get information going up and down. We don't have that formal obligation, but we certainly see the value in that kind of flow and channel for information. And and to advocate for that, certainly there's a lot of uh, associations where you can have a touch point with them that doesn't cost money. You can certainly be receiving newsletters and hear what they're doing, and I believe a lot of them have got introductory um, opportunities or small sole trader micro-business rates, which is definitely worth getting onto because it's so much stuff. But they can also translate. Like I'll give you an example. We, we, We know net. Zero emissions is a is a an economy wide ambition. Now, for an average business, they might not know what their emissions profile looks like, let alone what scope scope two and three emissions they have associated with the business. In that example, I'm thinking of you know the Australian Retailers Association. They've gone that next step and have translated that bolder ambition into some really specific tools and resources that work for small retailers. Now, that is that translation using you know, that funnel to get actionable information in the hands of small business. I think that's a good model. So do you think if there's associations out there that are supporting their micro and really sole trader small businesses to get that information out there, that the government should be supporting them in some way and offering them some funding? Well, we often talk to government when they say, how do we get this message out? And we recommend you should go on double team with the industry association. But fund it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I, one of the things that I, I am alert to but also concerned about is there's a, an awful lot of effort and communications resource going through social media channels. Now, that's okay um, and that's very effective in, in many cases but in a lot of our small and family business community, those channels aren't their primary source of information. So, so and, 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 you know, one of the concerns that we often have and it's why my office convenes a, a, a comms fraternity amongst government department and agencies is there's so many noisy messages out there. You know, we occasionally say, hang on, for this quarter, what's the two or three that really matter and can we get that across through multiple platforms, multiple channels because otherwise you're, people are going to be bombarded and it just becomes noise. So, so you know, and, and taking that a bit further, those, those fraternities of small and family business owners are vital, particularly if you're a home-based business can be very isolating. A lot of women talk about that sense of isolation. You've got geography that can work for you where there's like-minded enterprising people, so even local chambers of commerce can be useful. You've got industry sectors and segments that can really tap into their networks directly. But as the, as the you know, um, the called community, uh, the non-English speaking background community in Australia who are disproportionately business owners compared to their share of the population, they keep saying, don't forget us, Bruce. And that was a vital channel during COVID. Some of those COVID restrictions were really complicated and people were confused. If you lived outside of New South Wales, often you got Sydney's news coming through as late night news into other states. So you're hearing about Sydney's COVID restrictions. That's not much use to you when you're in Adelaide or something. Or even the support that New South Wales businesses are getting compared with And people are going, hey, that's kind of different what I heard during the day. And then a lot of the call community said to me, Bruce, this is really complicated, even if English is your first language. What if it's not? (laughs) And they just said so often those those migrant business owners just turn towards their, their, their cultural business community 
community and get their messages through them. And that's another another big channel and a vital one we, we need to connect with. And there's so many lessons that we need to remember from that COVID period about where the successes were yep. in channeling that information out. Now, for my last question, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you a question which is principally based. Sure. We hear a lot from government as advocates, it's too hard to reach small businesses. They're too disparate. They're too different. They don't listen. Um, they're too busy. There's a lot of barriers to that communication and to informing and also to be listening to small business. How can we, in a thought leadership kind of way, get the government thinking differently? How do we inform them that, no, there are channels of communication mm. you can use. There are different ways of speaking to them. Hit the streets, you know, yeah. boots on the ground. What is that? What does that look like in the next two to three years in your opinion? Well, I, I, I hope it'll be a far more coherent, synchronised message. Now, you know, we talked earlier about 170,000 Commonwealth public servants. They're all doing, you know, important work um, and, and many will have a message that they're busting to get out. Now, can you imagine on any given day there might be 60 different messages coming out of the Commonwealth uh, that they hope small business will absorb? Now, how do you, how do you cut through that noise? I mean, I know when I, I, I used to be somebody as a, the minister for small, cabinet minister for small business, you know, I, I thought about something like small biz buzz. Small Biz Buzz was a single channel, cut to the car chase, bite-sized clippy bits of information that at least was the gateway in. And, mm. and you know, it, it was an idea that I had that came off some of the experience in the UK, where in the UK any business impacting decision, regardless of where it came from in the UK public service, ended up going out at least co-branded by the Commerce Secretary. So, so you know, if something was happening in telco land that had an impact on 3G and for a lot of our farming community, uh, remote telemetry of opening gates, checking water and all that uses 3G um, spectrum. Now, if 3G spectrum is going to be shut down, people's immediate reaction is, oh, hang on, my phone might not work, but oh, who, who has a 3G phone these days? Well, that's not the issue. There's stacks of people who've got remote technology enabled by the 3G spectrum. Mm. So if you shut that down, you shut down all those things. So how do you get that message out? In that case, the ag people would put the message out with the commerce people. So so at least there was, you know, uh, eyeballs connecting where that flow of information would be. And appropriate language as well. Yeah. We know so often that different communities absorb information differently, what sort of channels they are. And, again, I'm not saying that to make it more complicated but actually to bring things around and say there are experts out there who yeah. know how to reach those people. And 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 and. and- Accessible language, I mean, I'll be honest with you, we we run a a software product here over our stuff so that it is as accessible as it can be. We we check what the um, educational level is that we're writing at. Is it overly complicated? Is there too much in-house Is that you using AI? Well, it's a version. I wouldn't call it AI, but it is a it is a, 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 a an analytic tool that sort of looks at you know whether we're landing our language wisely, whether mm. we're talking in an in house language that only someone who's got a particular life story will understand. I mean, and you see that in professions, people love having those their own words to build connection between their group. Now, governments can't afford to get sucked into the in crowd chat when they're trying to reach out to a much broader audience and and so that's some of the work that we do and I know even in a few examples we touched on 
on the edge of it earlier, where there was a substantial uh, legislative reform package. And, and we said, look, you've got to turn this into actionable information for small business. Oh, don't worry, we will, we will. We're going to make this plain English. And what they did was they made the law rewritten in plain English. So it was still mighty confusing. It's and still if you're a lawyer, yeah, that's right. And we're going, no, no, it needs to be able to answer the simple question, what, what is do it I, do? I need to do? Yes. And if it can't do that in a crisp way, we need to work harder. Well, Bruce, um, it's been absolutely fantastic having you on the program on Small Biz Matters. Now, we are going to be having regular updates from you, which we're really looking forward to. would love to hear about what's happening in your world that you're doing to support small business and, in turn, how small businesses can get activated in that policy space. It sounds to me like being aware of what the Aspifio is doing but also offering case studies and feeding information into your office is always valuable. How can people find out more well, about it? just jump on our website. It's it's all the Ws. And, and for me, this is a, a bit of an in-house joke after I said don't do those things. I don't use the Ws as the World Wide Web. My challenge to my team is a website worth watching. <laughs> so there's useful stuff in there. That's so very website Bruce. worth watching, all the Ws at dot asbefeo, A-S-B-F-E-O dot gov dot A-U. Um, there's useful stuff in there. There's better practice guidance, good resources, um, and there's a channel there. We, we, we just don't consult when we are, are interested. We're always open. So there's a mechanism there for people to even share. You touched on it earlier. Got a red tape reduction idea that's driving you insane? Drop it on our website and we'll go hunting. Fantastic. And thanks, everybody, for listening to Small Biz Matters. We'll be back every week um, with a new program, really deep diving into what you can do as a small business person to be activated in policy and have purpose with your business. Thank you once again for joining us, Bruce. Thank you. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. And remember to hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcast to ensure that you don't miss out on the next weekly episode of Small Biz Matters, People, Policy, Purpose. Now, next week on the show, we welcome the CEO of the Australian Retailers Association, Paul Zara, live in the studio. It's their 120-year anniversary. So we're going to talk about how they represent their 50,000 retail shop fronts throughout Australia. What makes a successful association last? As a national body, how do you balance the policy work across so many different government agencies? And importantly, what do you think will be the focus of small business policy in the next 12 months? Those are the questions we're going to pose to Paul Zara, the CEO of ARA, next week. So join Small Biz Matters People Policy Purpose next Tuesday, 9am live on your local community radio station, Triple H, 100.1 FM, and listen wherever you get your favourite podcasts.